I am the master, and you will obey me. Listen to Dan Hadley on Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, or face the consequences. It's time for Type 40, your Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network. With me, Dan Hadley, Birmingham's King of the Geeks, and your responsible-ish designated driver back together with you for another year here in the console room. But it could be you're completely new to the show. If so, well, fear not. We like to make this all as accessible and fun Whatever, we're the uh, same free-speaking and big-thinking, eclectic and eccentric show for everyone. Whatever decade or century you started watching, reading or listening along to those ongoing adventures of our hero, Doctor Who. Their latest season of new episodes of Doctor Who, they wrapped up on BBC One and all the other broadcasters all over the world just a few weeks ago now. And after a short break for Christmas and New Year ourselves, we're back with our take on the finale by uh, popular demand, <laughs> unless your initials are maybe a double C. <laughs> and uh, yes, we're going to do our very best to throw in some laughs and some fun along the way. All the laughs and fun that they didn't manage to on Doctor Who Flux. So come and step into our TARDIS <laughs> here on Type 40 with us. Here we are, all are again, friends for another roam around the, the fictional and real-life universes of Doctor Who here on Type 40, and I'm delighted to say that once again I'm joined by my uh, fellow vanquisher of all things vapid, <laughs> my mate Charlotte Shields. Hello. Hello, how are we? Happy New Year and all that. Yeah, even though I had to watch this for a second time to understand yeah. what on earth was going on in this episode. So I, I do suffer, folks, for the art of, of the podcast. She's still... She's still talking to me, everybody. She's still talking to me. Yeah, a lot can happen in a few weeks, can't it? And obviously, uh, some things I think, as, even as Doctor Who fans, we try to block out. Yeah, I think that's what my brain was doing. So it was just like, <laughs> I can't remember most of this. So 
I had to watch it again. <laughs> and uh, making up this uh, first panel of 2022 with us, it's a big Happy New Year to a true believer and culture clasher. It can only be the return of Mr. Kyle Wagner. Well, and the guy who lets you put your stuff out on the airways. I, are you sure? <laughs> and I, came, it came, I came on to this podcast. This is the this is the podcast about how I need to deal with acid reflux, right? Yes. <laughs> it's near, nearer to the mark than one would think. It's good to I, see you, Kyle. It's good to see you guys. Um, yeah, it's been an interesting time in Doctor Who land here in the United States as well. I've been following what you guys have been talking about and you know, um, I, I might have chosen to watch other things before I dove back into the books after watching the first episode. You know, there's some great stuff out there like The Expanse and things like that. But this little season of The Flux summed up yes. everything of the Chris Chibnall air. And I know we're going to yes. get into it as we talk about the finale. We are. The, the low level highs and the really low lows. <laughs> because on one hand, we've got Charlotte who gamely went back and, and put herself through the finale again for a full hour but you you had to do a bit of a catch-up on the whole thing didn't you because you did sort of you, you fell away with flux didn't you a few weeks ago I, I i just i just spent the last week refluxing and also watching the um new year's holiday special whatever they're calling it this this go around and uh, yeah. all i gotta say is feels like i've been in a doctor who time loop we're going to get uh, stuck into that in a couple of minutes. But before we get too deep into the uh, into the good stuff, it's time to remind you that if you'd like to do some real-time travelling of your own, each and every edition of our show is just a tap or two away if you know where to look. Dozens of great conversations, reviews, previews, geek-outs and deep-dives with all our friends and regular panellists. We know there's something for every Doctor Who fan at type40.podbean.com. There'll be more about all of that a little later on, as well as our essential connecting core to the matrix of all knowledge, known as the Fandom Podcast Network, for a word about all the other, uh, all the coverage of all the other great cult TV shows and movies and various other things that are going on on all the other podcasts over there, some of which aren't even hosted by Carl Wagner. I might know something about the Phantom Podcast Network. I, 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 something tells me there's a memory somewhere in there. Where's, where's that watch? Get in the watch. Get in the watch. Well, we'll get stuck into that. We'll have to find out what's going on with the network, won't we? Flashback just a few weeks. That finale of Doctor Who Flux, The Vanquishers. It's been... Six weeks, can you believe it? Six weeks of Doctor Who Series 13, also known under that umbrella title of, of Flux, which quite understandably led to a lot of uh, smart aleck remarks and rebadging and fan art that I don't think they'll ever truly live down. But it was all building up, wasn't it, to this uh, to this season finale, this last chunk where ideally you'd like to think that it was all going to make sense. In hindsight, <laughs> that could have been in hindsight quite a tall order, given the fact of what we know about Chris Chimble's work up to now. But yeah, we're going to be looking at uh, Chapter Six of Flux, otherwise known as The Vanquishers. And uh, just in case, just like Charlotte, you've forgotten all about it between then and now. Here's a quick recap. It's the uh, the final epic chapter all hope is lost the forces of darkness are in control but when the monsters have won who can you count upon to save the universe yeah this one was written by chris chibnall again and aired on the 5th of december 2021 it starred jodie whittaker 
as the 13th Doctor, along with Mandip Gill as Yasmin Khan and John Bishop as Dan Lewis. I actually got his name right. I got the character's name right. It's taken It's taken three months, everybody. It's taken three months. And it was directed again by Azhur Salim. So that's uh, this is the balance of the episodes. If you remember that half of them were directed by... Uh, Jamie. Jamie, Jamie Magnus Stone. Stone. That's it. Jamie Magnus Stone. He's the one I like as well. I can't remember his name. So half were directed by him and the other half was directed by this brand new director. The producers were Matt Strevens and Nikki Wilson with the incidental music again by Sagan Akinola. Kyle, when we last spoke, this whole, <laughs> this whole effort had only just kicked off. It was the Halloween apocalypse, that very first episode. And I got the impression that you were already feeling quite fatigued, that you kind of over it and that other things were on your mind but in the time in between obviously you haven't watched maybe at the momentum that we have but in the time in between there's been those um, those four other episodes were you hopeful when you pressed play on this finale was it what did it all make sense for you okay so so the whole flux as a whole was incredibly frustrating to me because mm-hmm. You had the first episode, which was up and down. I, the Dan character did nothing for me in the first episode. Fluffy, the the alien dog coming to rescue his human. And it was just very frustrating. I actually really liked the second episode. Getting back to some classic Doctor Who villains. War of the Santarans. The Santarans, I don't know who I'm a fan of anyway. And I thought that was a, re- I thought that was a really good episode. And I even liked some of the concepts, new concepts that they actually introduced involving the Weeping Angels. But yeah. everything else was just confusing and it felt like Chris Chibnall basically said okay I have to justify everything I've done and I'm going to do it in this this flux arc and it just didn't work there's concepts that are introduced without any explanation characters that are introduced without any explanation and then when you get explanations for certain characters and certain new things that Chibnall introduced in the flux nothing makes sense it's it's just like he was just grabbing ideas out of the air and saying this sounds like a good one this sounds like a good one Oh, but I don't have it fleshed out at all. I'm just kind of rapid firing things out there and we'll see what people people like. And the problem was nobody liked any of it. The only the honestly, the only thing that I really cared for as far as new ideas in this was I really liked and I, I'm blanking on the character's name now. He was the um captain that we saw in the in the first episode when he's out he's exiled oh, out on that Vinda. station. Vinda. I, I actually, oh Vinda, yeah, yeah. I actually liked him and I kinda liked the story of him with his his um, wife mate and her traveling yep. through, but again, there was still a lot of things there. And then, we, of course, we have what was it? The Ravagers were the the two villains here. Yeah, Swarm, they, Swarm, and Azure were the two, yeah. the two bad guys. I agree with you. I thought they were quite well played and nicely realized. Don't know what yeah, they were. Beautiful makeup, beautiful makeup job, incredibly well acted with crazy material. And I still have no idea what exactly their agenda was. I think that you on that first review show of series 13 you used the expression throwing everything at the wall to see what sticks you know charlotte and i have been through most of these shows together and whichever guest we've had on for each review in the middle charlotte somebody has come out with a version of that statement haven't they this is something that everybody seems to be feeling yeah and it's i think sort of obviously once i finish watching the series if i were to sort of try and like verbalize what it felt like it felt like a series fighting itself it didn't know what it wanted to be the tone shifted so much in some of these episodes and like Carl was saying there were so many different storylines and characters 
that it felt like they were fighting to have enough time to be developed. And it just it just all just didn't come together at the end. And yeah, everybody I've seen other reviews, even some of the press that's traditionally in the UK been very friendly to this era. Even they were saying this is convoluted, it's messy, it's everywhere. Like those terms were even being used by journalists, which is telling. The Guardian, the Radio Times, and even Doctor Who magazine itself gave this episode an absolute slating. I haven't actually read the reviews because I do try not, even when there's been weeks in between seeing them and reviewing them myself, I try not to let my own opinions get get coloured too much because you can already, I think you can already pick up generally from the reception on social media or just with friends and family how things are being generally, generally received. But I try not to, to read or listen or, or watch too much before we record this stuff. But sometimes something, it's like in Star Wars when, uh, <laughs> when the Death Star destroys that planet and, uh, you know, it's as if a thousand voices cried out. All Sometimes it, that effect is audible in itself. It, it, was, it was like a wave of meh that, uh, that this episode was, was met with after... Six weeks isn't a great period of time, is it? It's uh, only a, a moderate build-up. But another phrase that I, I've heard a lot throughout Flux was that Chris Chibnall, as a, as a writer and showrunner, spent all of this time jangling his keys and never ultimately doing anything with it all, never taking it, taking it anywhere and never putting his foot down. And I think that's completely accurate too. I think what we've got here is something that was deliberately designed to be extravagant and to to beat and to baffle us into a kind of submission, a submission to it and into a complacency of sorts that we'd be that relieved when it did end, Kyle. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I have thoughts on this because... <laughs> I think you are 100% right, okay. except he got thwarted before Flux ever came out. Because what I have noticed, at least from my end and here in the States, is as soon as Russell was announced coming back, yeah, yeah. even those who supported Chibnall just kind of have abandoned ship. They, even whether they're bashing it or not, but they're just not speaking up anymore because it's like, Russell's coming back. It, it's, it's like, you know, the, 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 there's a light on the horizon. And I think it sabotaged what Chibnall was going to try to do with Flux. I think Chibnall's mindset was, I'm just going to confuse him so much. I think with the announcement of Russell coming back, it just like everybody's like, fine, just do whatever. We know it, we're getting past it. I think that's really kind of changed Chibnall's little master plan that he had. You watch, well, both of you do come to think of it, watch a lot of modern TV shows. And I think we all appreciate, don't we, arc storytelling we are glad of programs and program makers who don't talk down to us. We don't mind doing some of the connecting ourselves, and that can, that can be some of the fun of it. Even with a creative fan base like the Doctor Who fan base, in respect to Flux, the audience was expected to do more of the work than those who made it did. And to me, that's a drastic difference. That's unforgivable and that means that this entire effort and in particular in particular the, the vanquishers which by no means was the worst episode of the season but but wasn't far off means that it probably should never have been been broadcast in this form and i mean the fact this was on for a full hour 
And at one time, I would I would have relished an extra 10 minutes of any Doctor Who episode. And you would think with an extra 10 minutes, they'd de- uh, deliver something that was fit for purpose, Charlotte, that does tick absolutely every single box and, and leaves any of you feeling completely satisfied and at least clear of the story that they've been told on the night, ideally for the entire six weeks, but certainly in the 60 minutes that had directly preceded it. See, my frustration was, throughout the Hall of Flux, he kept talking about the Doctor's past. He kept having the Doctor ask multiple people, what's my past? What are these memories? Who was I? That was her sort of, if she had a theme throughout this series, that was what the Doctor was doing. And I was like, I I didn't really care so much about some of the other stuff, because I didn't really care about those characters by the end of it. I didn't care about Vinder and Belle. I didn't well, they're, really they're never developed enough for us to yeah. begin to care about them, are they? That's the same. That, that's my point, though. I, I was like, if that doesn't get paid off, I'm not going to be that annoyed. But the one thing I did sort of care, care's probably a strong word, like I wanted to see what you do with it, at least, was the timeless child stuff and was these memories that he kept having the Doctor just wander around aimlessly trying to understand. And then I was just like, just answer the... Whether she, we just answer the core thing of she is the timeless child and what does that actually mean for the doctor not just a load of words which sound impressive tectoine before they they killed her in the blink of an eye tectoine confirmed that in the in the episode directly before this didn't she in uh, survivors of the flux the doctor said was the master lying and she said no to her but that means you can't just state something trivial. I need to actually see what weight this has as a story device. That was the only thing I really wanted to see a payoff for. And the way he dealt with that near the end of the episode, I actually felt was insulting. Because you, you kept saying, you're going to get an answer, you're going to get an answer. And then we didn't. And it was cowardly as well. It came across very cowardly to me, the way he treated the time with child stuff and at the, at the end. People's patience has been completely spent. And although the Doctor Who community being as creative as it is, you know, it has inspired people to try and track it and make sense of it with things like enormous infographics, which can be a challenge to any kind of any fan and designer, maybe to turn any of this into something that you can that you can plot and make any kind of color coded sense of. But Doctor Who fans, they shouldn't need to have to make great big wall charts to attach bits of string between even the most extraneous characters, should they, Kyle, to keep track of what is supposed to be a family adventure show. Charlotte brought up a, a great point, though, and I, I completely agree with her. Chris Chibnall insulted the fans' intelligence with this because. Here you have this whole big thing. His big thing has been the Timeless Child. That has been his stamp on Doctor Who. And here you have this thing where you're supposed to be getting the payoff. We know that this was, this was his big, like, when Russell first left the first time in the big five multi-part story with Tenet as the Tenth Doctor and bringing in all the characters. This was felt like yeah. that's what he was trying to do here, but very poorly. You have all these things from the Timeless Child, which he addresses in multiple episodes throughout the Flux. We finally get to the point where we're gonna get. We should be getting the payoff. She's she's got to watch. Swarm has been planning to use these memories against her, and then at the end of the episode, all it is is it was. It turns out to be oh well. It's a thing she's holding on to too tight, and she can't fix the flux. She's <laughs> holding on too tight, and then she just throws it away. And, and it's like it was like okay, that 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 to me her dumping it down inside the, the to the depths of the TARDIS. 
unless unless Chibnall has a payoff in his last couple of episodes, which he better, or it's going to go down a, as the most incoherent run of Doctor Who ever. <laughs> not pay that. Do not pay that off to the fans. And the storyline you, you could have done with her getting that memories, those memories back. Even if you're not a fan of that timeless child idea, there's some really cool storylines they could have executed out of that. Just being overwhelmed again by all of these memories that are taking place, and maybe the Doctor realizing. I'm not the person I thought I was. You know, I think there was I think there was interesting concepts there, but they insult, insulted the fans and basically said, "Yeah, no, this the, the doctor's just choosing to be who she wa- who the doctor is as of now and doesn't care." And yet it was the, her main priority since the master made the reveal back last season. It's it's just it's completely insulting to build something up like that and then just have it literally thrown down the trash bit. Yeah, and also to repeat the lesson because he's had to do a video literally explaining this after the series aired on the for the YouTube channel. And from what I've watched it, I haven't seen yeah. this. Oh, have you not heard about no. the video? He literally did a breakdown video explaining the flux, like an eight-minute video, and and he's been torn apart for it. That's worth. Well, that's going to get a review in itself. <laughs> Coming soon that, that, to a future edition of Type Forty. That, that just really? indicates. T- when you have to explain your own writing, that means it's terrible writing. Yeah, but in in the explaining yes. video, he he, yes. he talked about that scene with the watch, and this is probably going to infuriate you more. Do you know why? Apparently, according to Chibnall, she dropped the watch. Go on. Because because she she's learned she's not defined by her past. I see. Which is isn't that what happened in the Timeless Child? Didn't she literally get told yeah. by yeah. Joe Martin's doctor? And this video that was put up on YouTube, how soon after the finale was that put up? Do we know? Oh, I, within a I week can't or two? remember. I think it was in, within a week. I could be wrong, but I can't. I just know wonder. he did it. And was people it filmed were like, months ago, or has he gone back to the studio? Because obviously, production of, of Doctor Who, apart from a bit of post production on the Centenary special, which airs next October, it's all done. Everybody's left the building. People's contracts are over. The, the shutters are down all intense on the Doctor Who production office as was at Roth Lock so I would think they could have even dragged him back into a studio to record that for the, for the YouTube channel because the, the confusion out there, the way that, we're, that we've received this was how everybody received it and although here we are talking about stuff that, that happens that's on screen in the, the last 10 minutes of this hour's worth of TV it's hard not to go straight to that because everything that was on screen in the run-up to it was so distended and so so badly so badly curated as to it made it all feel completely inconsequential and as if we were just waiting for the end credits to roll and for it all to be over. I can't remember ever having sat through a series, and in fact, you, I could say this for the entire Chris Chibnall era, to have stayed the course of something in the fantasy genre, which I've loved all my, all my life, Kyle. And I've watched a lot of things sometimes out of duty, but I, there is no way I'd, I would have watched past week two of this if it hadn't have been Doctor Who. And, you know, I agree with you about episodes such as War of the Santarans, for example. I think that that had some merit. It did feel like Doctor Who to some extent. It was diverting is the word that I used at the time. We reviewed Village of the Angels on the show, myself and, and uh, Simon Horton. We talked about that at, at some length. And again, because Jamie Magnus Stone was also behind behind that, he directed that one and it had some good actors in. 
it managed to tap into a some, something primal about Doctor Who somewhere along the way that just goes out of, goes out of the window as soon as Jodie Whittaker steps on, on the set. But it, it never coalesces. And so the body of this is full of what feel like vignettes, Kyle. Do you remember how they used to do, for shows like Battlestar Galactica, Oh, they yeah, used yeah. to they used to drop out like ten or fifteen minute vignettes for them on the Sci-Fi Channel that they'd sometimes pull together for for YouTube or whatever. That's all that that this episode of Flux feels like. It feels like ten minutes of this, ten minutes of that, just dotted around here and there. So first of all, you hit it right on the head because we have three different versions of the Doctor running around in three different timelines. Oh. Don't remind me. <laughs> Jodie Whittaker um, in triplicate. When that happened on screen, I actually, I, I, I actually said out loud. Well, actually, I won't say what I said because <laughs> it, it'll be it'll be rude. Uh, but yeah, I exclaimed something, uh, something somewhat blue. And here's my frustration with it: you have this whole tunnel system thing, which they never paid off. And, and then oh. at the in the in this last episode, she talks about the importance of this guy and what he's done, and yet we have no idea. No idea who he was, forgotten his name, can't remember a single thing he said. So, so, so you've got that. You've got her with Swarm and everything that's going on in with the headquarters of the Division, which, again, the Division, what is it? We still don't have a definition <laughs> of what the heck the Division is. And it's all over, it was all over and done with within, within 10 minutes of screen time again yeah. after all that build-up. That was worth destroying 50 odd years worth of Doctor Who lore over for something that the screen time can't have come to more than five to ten minutes, Charlotte? Oh yeah, and it was Tetune, like, she got killed off really quickly, it felt like in the previous episode, and it just and also Kate Stewart the, talk about a waste of, of a returning character a character that's got quite a good legacy in, the, in New Who she's quite well liked and she was utterly underserved she well, was, was just confused. there to say some exposition lines. I was confused, Charlotte. I said on the last show, I was confused by Kate Stewart's presence. I think Gemma Redgrave is a, usually a class act. And I've liked this character in the past. It's, it seemed right that she was picking up this baton. And yet in this, she seemed... She seemed like she'd been given the script that morning. She oh, seemed Gemma Redgrave who has been acting a very long time. Sorry, Gemma, but you seem barely awake doing this. And the character didn't even feel like Kate Stewart. And I can only... I don't want to put too much on the actress because maybe it was it was given to her in a short period of time. And I think I know why, because I believe that all that material was originally intended for Captain Jack Harkness as played by John Barrowman. I think he was meant to be the uh, the leader of the Resistance to to the uh, the Sontarans on Earth, I think that would completely fit in. I, I I'd even go so far as to say that the organisation that the serpent infiltrated and that got closed down and then opened back up again by the time this was all playing out, I think that was originally meant to be Torchwood because that would fit in perfectly with when we last saw Jack at the end of Revolution of the Daleks walking off in the, into the night to reconnect with Gwen. And potentially to, it seemed to me, restore Torchwood. I think you'd mentioned that, Kyle, and uh, leave it open to, if not a further series of Torchwood, then at the very least for it to be a parallel presence in the Doctor Who universe again. So I think that in light of the uh, cancelling of John Barrowman, 
rightly or wrongly, that happened last year that uh, Kate Stewart was was brought in and maybe even some of this material, I believe it was rewritten and maybe even reshot. I, I don't think we'll know any answer to that for a while. What do you think, Kyle? I think I think you're hitting the nail on the head. I think I think John Behrman was supposed as Jack Harkness was supposed to have a much bigger role in this series because I can't. They set it up too much in that episode where he, he he came back and they set up too many things. I think he was supposed to probably have a running through this entire thing, and maybe even even dealing with the the, the serpent well, character. Maybe that was going to be his side story was chasing his nemesis, kind of chasing yeah. him down. And I really think that Chris Chibnall had intentions of, I'm bringing back Torchwood, and this is how I'm going to do it with the Flux. And then everything happened with John, and he just got left hanging out to dry. And that's one of the reasons why this particular run of Doctor Who feels so disconjointed, because I think I think he lost a big piece of it, and he did, he's not a good enough writer to write on the fly. And it I, I think it destroyed any any continuity he had between the episodes and it i think it's i think that's a big part of it and i just think like i said i think between that finding knowing he was leaving and it just this this was just the, the grand summation of everything that was the chibnall era some interesting ideas that he had no idea how to execute and just poor thought process through everything he did and i mean I, even to me the flux Nothing felt dangerous in this. The flux didn't feel dangerous. Swarm felt a little bit dangerous, but otherwise, it was just like there was. It didn't feel like anything was a true threat. Well, I think that everything that we have to thank to uh, to thank for any uh, feeling of danger in the entirety of flux, and even up until even in episode six, I think that we still have to uh, give some praise to the actor Sam Spruill who played Swarm. I thought that he was generally, I don't want really to use words like outstanding because it's not that kind of part. It's a, it's a, a very conventional boo-hiss bad guy part. But I thought he was excellent in the role. And um, Rashinda Sandal, who had a lot less to do as Azure, the fact that we didn't realise that there was next to nothing to these characters until quite late in the day means that they upheld their end of this whole process pretty well. But they were also uh, served quite badly by this now again it's another case of of a chris chibnall villain a, a chris chibnall presence that ultimately proved to be uh a nothing uh so no threat no threat at all he pulled exactly the same stunt with those two characters that he pulled with a shad the last cyberman in series 12 it was a, a click of the fingers and uh, and that threat was was completely gone it was as if they they no longer existed. There was barely a question asked about where they were from, what they wanted, why they wanted it, and we'll probably never get ans answers to any of that at any point. We're expected to just forget about it and move on and keep up and don't ask questions. This is Doctor Who. This is supposed to be. This is supposed to be fun. But I don't think even children watching the very few children that are still invested in this show. There aren't many, and I don't take any pleasure in saying any of this. I'm not going to be won over by any of that at all, and neither are they the comedy elements to this story. To have spent all that time in week two 
developing the Santaras and sort of reconnecting them to the original old school appeal of the Santaras and how they looked and how they behaved. And there's this really strange sequence in this episode where they corner a Santara, again played by the long-suffering Dan Stark. I think Dan Stark is wonderful. How they could have roped him back in for this cheap bit of tat, I don't know. But this scene where he's um, feasting on chocolate in a corner shop, Charlotte, it, it's, it's as you said, this is a, more examples of stuff that just jars. It, out either side of it, none of it fits, does it? Well, yeah, as, as soon as... Obviously, because Kate was the one who introduced this plot idea of corner shops. And as soon as that word came out of her mouth, and this is even before we saw this scene, I was just like, Chibnall, what are you doing? Like, why? You, you purposely made them, like you said in episode two of this run, more warlike. The thing that Moffat got the, probably, I think, the most criticism for during his run was the, treat, was the treatment of the, of, of the Santarans. And for him to appear to go back on that and to go, no, I'm going to make them serious again. And then to literally have a, a scene where one's got a sugar rush or chocolate craving and literally have him go, chocolate. It was just like, I felt like I was what, like I'd been put in another universe. <laughs> and, and it's it not like you, you fit. or I, Charlotte, we've both got a sense of humour, haven't we? We, lo- we like the fun episodes of Doctor Who, but this didn't, it, it didn't feel like it was supposed to be that kind of episode. One minute it was doing something cataclysmic, the next moment we have a scene like this, and it's hard Yeah, and also, to... the problem was you had the Doctor and everybody else treating it seriously. Like, yeah, of course we'd find one of these fellas in a corner shop stuffing his face, and then to also give away, like, secrets, and to help them infiltrate his own base for a bit of chocolate. Like, that's literally what happened. Like, when you say it out loud, you just go, what yeah. on earth is Chibnall <laughs> yeah. thinking? I think that if there has to be a, um, the biggest indicator, really, of how out of step Chris Chibnall is with, with the audience and with the place that, that the series is at now, you know, okay, we are hopefully on the threshold of something much bigger and much better. But as things stand now, we're, we're in the crater of, of damage done to the show, to its uh, profile, by, by not only him, but by Jodie Whittaker, I think, to uh, effectively, to give us those three, was it three or even four versions of well, the character played by Jodie Whittaker? Techni- technically four, because, which we'll get to, time is now a person. So we technically had a time version of her and the free split versions. I thought time was a planet. I'm confused. Oh, it's it, it was a planet two. <laughs> it's it was a planet two weeks ago, Kyle. Now it's a person. This is just one of those. Great, if you were to talk, if somebody's to ask you, like, oh, I haven't seen Doctor Who for a while. Is it worth catching up? What happened in the last episode? What's going on in Doctor Who now? Well, at the moment, there's a there's a planet called Time. Yeah, <laughs> they wouldn't believe a word you were saying, or they just leave the conversation thinking, you know what? I'm glad I I'm glad I stopped watching that show. When, I, when uh, I did, because this isn't lore, is it? This is—I don't even—I'm not even sure what this is. It just seems to me to be more mumbo jumbo and more more wasting the goodwill of of the audience who are sticking with this. I mean, I lost faith 
during the mauling of the series law in the last series. Once you throw all of that out, the baby out with the bathwater, you know, I was completely disenfranchised by that. But I've tried to come at this and view it as I would any other fantasy show. And there is simply no body to any of the the soup, to the watery soup of, of the rest of it. There's nothing to to nourish one at all. All we have are these really nebulous ideas and thoughts uh, and glib naming of, of things. That sounds like a fun idea, or that sounds like a big idea, a war between time and space. What does that mean? I don't know, but it sounds good, doesn't it? And, and so to not explore that in any way, it, it's cynical and unforgivable. And, and it, rather than to... Okay, and during the course of this, to bring us characters like Belle and Vinda, who were played by, by uh, Jacob Anderson, and um, what's the name of the, of the actress? Thadia Graham, who played Belle, who I think were two of the more believable characters and the believable performances in this, considering the material that, that they got. They seemed quite in tune with what they were doing, even if they weren't with what everybody else was. So to give us these characters and not develop them, uh, the, the same with, with uh, Carvinista, who I, I still... I, there's a few people who do really quite like Carvinista. The rabbi is a big fan of Carvinistas. It never, I never warmed to it at all. But rather than develop those characters and bring them together in the way that, say, Russell T. Davies did with the Children of Time in, uh, at the conclusion of Series 4, for example, he doesn't develop any of them. He doesn't bring any of them together as some sort of Ocean's Eleven or or A-team that are going to stop the flux. Rather than doing that, he duplicates the lead character who we all know hasn't been working at all. In fact, works works worse now than when Whitaker first took the role. So he duplicates that character, dots her around all over the place so that versions of the Doctor can somehow talk to themselves. It's everything that's bad about the way Chris Chibnall tells his stories just in triplicate, littered throughout this entire thing, and we're supposed to hold on, hold on for for dear life. Not just us, but the rest of the cast. I, I I got the impression watching this, particularly the second time, and you could see the looks in their eyes. I don't think anybody in the cast for for the Vanquishers had the faintest idea what they were saying or why, with the exception of uh, of one actor, the the consummate professional that is kevin mcnally who's once again playing professor jericho in this for a third episode i thought he was outstanding i played the role with with as much gusto and conviction and believability this man is a fantastic character actor has been for decades stuff like the parts of the caribbean movies and various period dramas comedies and what wherever he turns up he's always good but one actor in a cast of of a dozen, but Carl, was there anybody in this you felt that stood out at all? Uh, I, obviously, you, Jericho was one of the main characters that actually stood out, and that's just because of the amazing performance. Uh, but no, no, nobody, nobody stood out. And you know, I think you you hit on something for me too, Dan, as you were talking about Chibnall. Here's what I think Chibnall is: Chibnall is a great idea man in that he can throw out an idea but he does not know how to develop his own ideas. It's like a space-time war developed right could be a really great Doctor Who story. 
but he doesn't know how he can give you an idea to start with but he has no idea he needs he needs somebody else to develop it for him can you, you imagine know, it, kyle if somebody like jack kirby would, was given something like that you know a, a, pr a true storyteller from the past give me j michael straczynski he could probably write the hell out of that Charlotte, what do you think? It's, it's because he can't do fully rounded characters, and I think Flux has really shown that up. And especially in this episode, with Carvin... We suddenly find out in like one scene, when it's not really been signposted, that he was really close with, I'm guessing, the roof doctor. And Seems the doctor even says to him, oh, you were my companion. So, so that's hinting that they actually had a proper doctor companion sort of relationship and they were really close rather than just being rather than just being part of some task force in a flashback which that was week three wasn't it yeah so if you if you if you're gonna try and convince us in this episode that they were that close why didn't you in the flashback have dad who was who was who was basically supposed to be carving easter have <laughs> him show like care or maybe have the doctor in danger and have Carvinista like go to help her because then it wouldn't feel so out of place for him to suddenly have this emotional scene you can see that's what they were trying to do and it's like we there's a reason for that why christian christian Chris has uh, something implanted in his brain to where he can't show connections between characters yes. too soon and, or he gets poisoned and killed <laughs> yeah that, but it's no it's I also like with, with Jericho, it's like with Jericho. Like the way he died was was pathetic. He he literally died because he dropped the ring, the thingy what was it? The teleport ring, whatever it was. Yeah. Like really, that's how you're gonna make your character go like that's how you're gonna end the character. And he's the only character in the thing that dies. Which means yes. it's the only real it's the only component part of of the story that that is seen to pay a price to sacrifice anything is is when uh, is when uh, Professor Jericho loses his life. I mean, we we're told that a massive portion of the universe has been destroyed by this. We never really we never really see it. We never see the impact of it. The Doctor never seems particularly bothered by this. So, but with with this character, he was giving Kevin McNally all of the heavy lifting to do to to bring any kind of power to this episode at all. Here's the one character that you liked. Here's the one character that seemed kind of kind of developed. So we're going to kill him. It just seems like, again, another, another cynical move to get a moment, a very, very fleeting moment of pathos, and then we're on to something else, and the character of Jericho, he's barely mentioned again. In fact, he's not mentioned at all by Dan. Yaz kind of sniffs away. They've spent the last three four calendar years traveling the world with this guy and yet they just sort of brush him off and the the character of claire is back in this episode too but again very very fleetingly she was in in the first episode and then again in village of the angels who played claire i thought that she was really good that was annabelle scoley again a very grounding presence in that character completely forgotten about they sort of drag her into this and, and attach her story to the rest of it Sort of, they they pull her along, pull her along with it, and and she's there at the end with Kate Stewart. So maybe she'll go and work for Unit. I don't know. Has she still got a, an angel inside her? Who knows? Who cares? Will we ever find out? Eh. 
well, <laughs> at the same no. with the character of Diane played by Nadia Albina, yeah, Dan's colleague. I mean, it's it's all these characters who never get, never really get developed, never no, go anywhere. What what he did with Diane was worse. He made her unlikable <laughs> because uh, all yeah. of a sudden it's Dan's fault that she got captured. She literally said to him, "You you were late," and I was watching it going, um, "He was kidnapped by a dog." You were kidnapped by an alien with sparkles on their face. He spent four years trapped in the past, but he was late <laughs> for your date. It's like, why? Like, why are you blaming him? It made well, no sense whatsoever. And here's the other thing. She's just been through her own fantastical thing here. No understanding at all. I, I mean, there's that. And then you talk about the Claire character. Here's, she's she's introduced at the end of the first episode of the of this flux series like she's going to be this major character and then it's like it was a she was an other than the beaming she has an angel trap inside of her okay that's kind of interesting but it doesn't pay off and it, she's nowhere near the character that they make her appear to be at the end of the, from the first episode of the flux and it's 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 just incredibly frustrating and it's it's just it, it, we're going it feels like we're repeating ourselves because that's it's the same problem over and over yeah. again, and they, they do, it doesn't correct itself. And the only way it's going to get corrected is when Russell comes back, because Chris Chibnall has shown. It almost feels like to me, especially with the flux, he was right. He he had this idea for another television show, and he adapted it to Doctor Who. And that's to be honest, I mean that's been the story of most of his tenure really you you kind of think well if you wanted to tell this story if you wanted to run this kind of show why did you do this to doctor who i wanted to ask you kyle because when you were last in we just had the very first episode starring john bishop as as dan lewis an actor a personality i'm not i'm not sure i can seriously call him an actor a personality that you'd never seen before in anything during the course of Flux, did you warm to him at all? How did you think he acquitted himself? I mean, the, the things the character is, is given to do are, are no better and no worse than, than anybody else, really. But did you warm to him at all? And and uh, how did you feel about the way the, the arc of the character, did he ha- did he even have one? He was there. I mean, that's, that's, that's <laughs> like everybody else. They were they were there. And I don't think it's the... It's not the actor's fault. No, it's and not. I, I, re- I, you know, I actually... I'm, Jumping ahead a little bit, I actually liked him in the New Year's special. I actually thought he was a little bit more rounded in this, in that. But here you have this new companion who should be kind of a focus, I think, through this storyline. And what what is he? He's basically, oh, he's the human that must be fetched. That's why. That's why he. You know, we had the girl who waited. We have the human to be fetched. That's that, that, that you. See the craziness between the two there? It's 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 ridiculous. And And even though there is this reunion between him and Diane, which go which is exactly as you described, Charlotte, I can't add to that as this perfect, ridiculous. He never really spends much time with with Carvinista. Carvinista does appear again, but again it's all really confused. Carvinista has a moment with the with the doctor. A few weeks ago, Carvinista was trying to kill the doctor. what? Uh, I, I'm going to tell you right now. You look at this picture you have on screen. I'd watch that show with these three characters. <laughs> oh, I. <laughs> you know what? I probably would as well. Because at no. least it's a blank. At least it's a blank canvas. It doesn't feel like they're ruining another. You'd be ruining another show. 
an established show to tell stories about the about some box fresh characters. I don't know. I mean, in the end, I think that um, Vinda, in particular, I, we took yeah. him to be the Captain Jack substitute, and I think part part of his material probably was also intended for John Barrowman. I'd, I'd say it was divided up between uh, Jacob and this poor bloke. I feel so sorry for you, Jacob. Between Jacob and and uh, Kate Stewart, uh, we'll probably ne- not know the answer to this for a good few years yet. As for Thadia Graham uh, as Belle, again, I thought she was trying her best and at least felt she felt sort of authentic up, up to a point. Uh, but then again, everybody's going to feel auth- authentic stood next to a six-foot dog. Well, no, but I want I want to add this in. Maybe not as these characters, but these two actors... They would have been more exciting companions than any of the companions we've had so far. Oh God, in yeah. this run, yeah, fair play. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think in Flux, he's probably had some of the best casting he's had. Not the main cast because they're all established. I think he's had some of the best supporting actors and some of the best just yeah. actors because the Grand Serpent. I know that actor. I've seen him in shows, and he's very, very good at being slimy. That's Craig Parkinson. That's the type of character Craig plays very well. He plays villains. He plays people you don't trust. And the Grand Serpent, he just became nothing. And the, the, what nothing even frustrated all. me was that scene when the, when Jodie was supposed to be getting tortured. They were, literally, she, they were literally in the script teasing us what he was. Like she was saying, oh, you've got a double heart rate and all this. And oh, then really? they just stopped doing it. And then, so we still don't know what race he is or where he comes from or anything to do with why he has that snake power. And I was like, why literally have a scene when you're starting to like tell us physical traits and she was literally trying to work out what he was. And then number two doctor comes walking in, so she stops. (laughs) Do you think we'll see him again, Charlotte? Oh, no. He, like I said, no, I, I felt sorry for Craig because he can play a good part if you give him the, the, the right material. Yeah, I thought he was wonderful. And he's, he seemed to be having, again, just, just like uh, the guy who plays Swarm, seemed to be having a really good time with it. I just felt really sorry that the material was, was so thin and ultimately ultimately went nowhere. I mean, that's, that's when you think about it, there's several, there's several people sort of in orbit around all of this I include Tectoine in that, played by uh, Barbara Murray. In the what a waste! What you've just said about the supporting characters, Charlotte—that is bang on. When you think Craig Parkinson, Barbara Murray, all the all these people, Annabelle Scolius, Claire, and uh, Kevin McNally. Yeah, Jericho and Kevin. Yeah, it's he's had some. He got, he got some really establishment actors in the in the UK. Obviously, in America, they might not be known, but in the UK, those are well-known names. Steady hands, familiar faces. It should have all. It should have all at least come together a lot, lot better than this. I mean, I, I went back and I looked because I, I watched this sort of a second time in preparation to come and talking about this because it has been a few weeks, and like I say, it didn't really. The story didn't really sink in. Elements of it and scenes of it seemed to crash into one another. It, again, it reminded me of that 1993 Children Needs special Dimensions in Time, where the Doctors and the Companions are crashing in and out of one another. That was all for charity, done in 15 minutes. This feels exactly what, like, if they'd have tried to have spun that out to last a full hour, 
that's what it would have been like. It would have been the vanquishers desperately, frantically trying to give us the impression of something epic and something of consequence and ultimately alienating the audience, baffling all but the most... Actually, no, baffling everybody and uh, and completely uh, disenfranchising all but two or three of the most ardent apologists who stalk Twitter trying to stamp out any dissent, which with this with this episode was completely futile because the reception absolutely everywhere was a, was a next to universal, next to universal uh, thumbs down. Uh, it may not be an all time low. I think the timeless children was probably that, or maybe even once upon time. I think we've had several lows. There's been one after another. But I think with this rounding off Doctor Who as a regular show, Kyle, under Chris Chibnall, it uh, okay. it sees it sort of limping off limping off into the sunset, really. So he, there's a couple of things here. First of all, I think after watching The Flux, I came away going 80% of the problems with Doctor Who right now are Chris Chibnall. You know, Jodie has her place, but it is very obvious it is Chris Chibnall not knowing how to write this. Okay, uh, this picture, picture right here. This I'm still trying to wrap my brain around this. Uh, okay, we have Light Doctor, Dark Doctor. Was that the whole intent here? Were they? Was he trying to for a little Star Wars here? Like the like the Force we'll and the Dark know. Side. And I mean that's the thing. We're never going to know. But one of the things that I find very interesting is you know we would talk about the Wars and the Centaurians and also the um, Village of Angels where we both. Dan, we talked about it, kind of felt like they were trying to pull something that felt like yeah. Doctor Who out of there. That's more credited, I think, to the directors of those ep- the director on those episodes than anything else, that he was able to they were able to pull that I feeling. agree. I think Jamie out. Magnus Stone and the co-writer of Village of the Angels, Maxine Alderton, they have between them a good grasp of texture and of building character and of Telling a good Doctor Who story. No, actually, scrub that. I think they have a better grasp of who the audience for this show is and how to reach them. Well, and and when you watch those episodes, and again, the, the, the boat is sailed on Jodie. You can, whether you like her or not, the boat is sailed on her. But those were episodes where I was like, Jodie didn't feel as a Doctor like she was completely spastic. Mm. And I, again, it just goes to show me, I think this has been a Chris Tribnall cluster from day one, and no, there's nobody. I don't. He could. He could have had Matt Smith. He could have had David Tennant, and I think we would still be having issues. Uh, Matt Matt Smith or David Tennant might have said, "Regenerate me after season one of Chris Tribnall." <laughs> I don't think anybody will be able to recall barely a single moment of the entire Flux saga by Easter, Charlotte. Yeah, I, th- I think it will might be. Oh, I remember this odd scene. Or I remember this odd like moment that wasn't too bad. But and I think as well, we've talked about this um, six-part type of storytelling where it's supposed to all connect. And I understand that the probably a big reason for that was because of the restrictions. And it probably was they had to basically condense a lot of things. But I'm sorry, Chibnall should not have done this route. He should have just done six episodes of standalone stories and then have the end deal with the division 
which you could have done in a normal setup. Exactly. We, your... We're not unreasonable people. We're not monsters. We understand this show. We we know what we like and, and we know why we came to Doctor Who in, in the in the first place. But when if you if you think back to when this season started on the publicity trail and Chibnall started talking up this series and he says, "Oh, we decided in the light of the current global situation and and the the pandemic and the restrict, restrictions on what we can do and how we can do it, maybe we should maybe we should scale things back. Maybe we should be conservative. Maybe we should think like this or, or think like that." And he boasted about how he weighed all that up and decided, "No, we're going to tell the biggest story ever." So this was a conscious decision by this creative who was showrunner of what is still technically one of the great intellectual properties in the genre. In fact, probably in any genre all over the world. So this was his decision. It was the wrong decision. And you've completely and utterly blown it, Chris. This is totally on you. It was the wrong decision to make to to go for the biggest story ever because you've turned in a series that makes no sense at all, that has driven even more of the audience away, and that will be forgotten in next to no time. It's told him. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to take a short break now, I think, to uh, cleanse ourselves a little, and instead uh, check in with the multiverse of everything else on all the other podcasts that are stretching across the Fandom Podcast Network. So uh, here is a friend of ours with a couple of minutes worth of all those other great conversations going on on all those other shows. I'll be back in a couple of minutes with more from Charlotte, Kyle and myself. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. We'd like to continue to feed your ears by inviting you to listen to these other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. It starts with our flagship show, Culture Clash, discussing the latest in entertainment pop culture. Blood of Kings, Immortals Take Notice, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theaters, where we celebrate our favorite movies. Time Warp, the fandom flashback podcast discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie and TV pop culture topics. Good Evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Union Federation, our Star Trek and Orville show. Hair Metal, the 80s and early 90s rock metal podcast. Type 40, our show covering the time-traveling Doctor Who universe with host Dan Hadley. Lethal Mullet, an 80s and 90s action film podcast with host Adam P. O'Brien. Also check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, a Star Wars podcast with hosts Scott, Derek, and Nathan. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, a deep dive into the final frontier with host Mark Newbold and Adam P. O'Brien. And check out our newest shows, The Fandom Show, our monthly fandom podcast network live YouTube exclusive show about the month's hottest topics in fandom, and the FPN True Believers MCU podcast discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the related Marvel television and streaming MCU universe, including the connections to the original Marvel comics. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on several platforms. Please subscribe to the Fandom Podcast Network YouTube channel to receive notifications of new podcast episodes and live events. You can enjoy all of the Fandom Podcast Network audio podcasts on our master feed at fpnet.podbean.com. The Fandom Podcast Network is on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts and iTunes. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook, 
You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. You can also find the Fandom Podcast Network on Instagram at Fandom Podcast Network and on Twitter at FanPod Network. Thank you for listening and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Yes, we've teased and tantalized you there, as always, and we can even clothe you too. There's merch to match all of those shows, including Type 40. If you head over to the tpublic.com store, search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and you'll find a store full of all the team colors for all of the podcasts on everything from those t-shirts to phone cases and tapestries and whatever else. Treat yourself, treat your other selves, and it all goes to support the Fandom Podcast Network into the bargain. So... Everybody wins. Yes, I'm back uh, with the crew here on Type 40. Charlotte and Kyle are rooted to the spot because they can't wait to find out. You know, we've vented about this for the last three parts of an hour. (laughs) I was going to say, was it just us? We know it wasn't just us. This was an absolute and total disaster. But how were the ratings? That's... (laughs) This is usually the part of the... It's usually the part of the show where things get a little bit more fun. Taking stock of the ratings of this series has been a a pastime of Doctor Who fans for decades now, and that does seem to frustrate some out there. You know, why are we still interested in such things? It's the 21st century. We live in the streaming age. But, again, the disclaimer has to be, when a show like Doctor Who, the majority of its audience is still made up of people who watch it live on that night by a massive margin. Therefore, those overnight ratings, well, they're just as important as ever they were. And yeah, we have the latest figures in. So have you been keeping track of the ratings, Kyle? Because you know it's, it's, um, a similar, it's been a similar story in the States to how it's been in the UK. Reception's not been brilliant. To be honest with you, the flux wasn't even advertised. It, it wasn't. <gasps> I don't remember seeing any ads for the flux anywhere. What I I've seen it more now as it's ended because streaming services like AMC Plus, which have an, some kind of agreement for Doctor Who and obviously HBO Max, but just general ad, there was nothing. There was oh that existed. I, I didn't even know. I can't imagine that the U.S. ratings were good. And I following from the chats from you guys, it sounds like it was just downhill from the start on every it's episode been- of the flux. It's been bad. It's been really, really bad. But I can I can reveal, surprisingly, that there was an uptick for episode six of the flux. Yeah, it, ratings did go up a little over on BBC America, up to zero point four one million people after a decline pretty much. Yeah, it's it's wavered, I think. It'd be unfair to say a, a decline all the way through. But it's never, it's never really got out of the uh, early 0.3 figure. It's certainly nowhere near the kind of figures that it was getting just a couple of years ago. And that slight uptick, it's nothing really to, to write home about it. That, 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 is, that is what we call a finale uptick. That is an uptick because, oh, maybe we're going to get some question answers. Well, let's, let's just see. And I think a lot of people, out of confusion, thought this was going to be the end of the fluxes when Jody was going to regenerate. I think there was confu- I think there was some confusion on that. And I think so- there is. In fact, not just the finale, but when the New Year's Day special aired too, a lot of people online, people who aren't as deeply entrenched in in the franchise as we are, Charlotte, 
there, there is confusion out there because people know that she's leaving and because it's special after special after special and, and conclusion after conclusion after conclusion, people are turning up expecting the money shot, aren't they? The payoff when, when she's going to burst into flames, maybe. Yeah, and also they announced it at this point last year quite early on, I've got a feeling. Like, it's it's been... It feels like it's been a long time now that it's been. The rumor started nearly a year that ago. That yeah. she's going, and the problem is, the longer you keep that in the air, the more people are going to be confused as to. I thought I heard she's gone. No, you just you just yeah. know she's going. I think ideally they didn't want to announce her going while this was airing, while Flux was airing. I think they wanted to hold it off a bit. The uh, UK ratings have continued to be. Uh incredibly disappointing I mean there are people out there spinning these which I find extraordinary <laughs> I don't know I don't know what to say uh, God bless them if it brings them so, some sort of pleasure I don't know I as much as I love fantasy entertainment and retreating into that there's a reality to the figures not just for flux for, but for the entire Chris Chibnall era when the trajectory is next to consistently week by week, instalment by instalment, down and down and down. You cannot spin these kind of figures. You cannot spin that arrow to go upwards. So we've got a final figure. The overnights for episode six of Flux, the Vanquishers, was a 3.58 million. Again, a big chunk down from the 3.82 million the previous week. We have a consolidated figure too, obviously, because it's been a few weeks on from that. The consolidated figure was just four and a half million viewers, which was less. I mean, it's not the lowest of the season. It's not far off. Not great figures by anybody's standards. And looking across to the uh, audience appreciation index figure, which uh, are not, aren't getting reported quite so willingly across the, the Doctor Who universe, this series. The AAI figures, just for those out there who don't know what it is, I, I do think they, they are more important than ever. This is a measure of how much the audience actually enjoyed the programme that they've, that they've actually watched. Because, you know, you don't know until you've actually watched it whether, you've, whether you're going to enjoy it or not, do you? know? And then by then you count as a viewer. You become part of the ratings. So the idea is with these audience appreciation index figures is that the score is compiled from a specially selected panel of around 5,000 people who then go online after a show has aired and they rate their experience watching it and they comment on the shows at a secured location. And this is the very first time that an entire season of Doctor Who has uh, languished in the 70s there. So episode 6, that rested on, on the figure of 76 which is the exact same number that they came in on with the Halloween apocalypse, not quite down to the, the low of Once Upon Time of 75. And I know that doesn't sound too bad for there to be one or two points in between these two figures, but in the case of the AAIs, I'm, I'm never entirely sure why, why this is, that those gaps, how they're quantified, they mean a tremendous amount. So the, the idea is that if anything polls less than... I think it's 78, I think that's the watermark figure, that it's seen as a failure and a show that it is that it's viable as a cancellation. So when you when you're looking at the shape of this and that the, the series finishes exactly where it started, you could say, well, what has it lost? Which would be true. It just goes to show that the show is in bad shape, that its relationship with the British public 
with the general audience is the worst that it's been in several decades. There is no way to spin these figures, is there, Kyle? No, and it's not much better here in the States, too. I mean, it's just... Here in the States, um, Doctor Who consolidated rating of 4.89 million for the first five episodes of Flux is weaker than anything that was in Series 12. That's saying something. The boat has sailed on this. I think everybody's of the mindset that Russell's just going to reset everything, much like he did the first go-around anyway. And I, I think people checked out. Yeah, and also, this could have been in another like universe, this could have been like a Capaldi that his last series is considered by a lot in the fandom in the UK as one of his best. A lot of people take a lot more to him and Bill than he had with Clara. There's, that series seems to be seen as Moffat almost finally got it all together. And Chris could have had that moment with his with him and his doctor it could have been well i didn't like series 11 or 12 but at least series 13 gave me a bit of something but he's not even got that and as we're coming to the end of his era now we've got to think about legacy and how he's going to be remembered and he could have had a final flourish to say look i at least gave you some good episodes before i went but you couldn't even do that no there, there is no legacy for his legacy is that he wiped out, he destroyed, he destroyed 50 years of Doctor Who canon. That is his legacy as it stands right now. And what's going to end up happening with that aspect of it is it's just going to be thrown out with the bathwater of everything else. This show is going to... Com when Chibnall took over, they thought the show was going to regenerate completely across the board. It was going to be a change of feel of the show. It was going to be kind of going back to maybe it's more for kids' route, that kind of thing. This show has been... an mitigated disaster and it's 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 a lot of it falls on Chibnall and that he was in over his head doing this main Doctor Who. He was good on Torchwood because he wasn't affecting the mass canon. He was writing his own thing. Same with Broadchurch. He's writing his own thing. Chris Chibnall cannot should not be taking over a massive franchise. He's he is not qualified to do so. He he might be able to do his own original ideas better than he's able to execute this. But it's just, it's going to go down as an unmitigated disaster. It's going to go down as, um, whether fair or not, one of the worst versions of Doctor Who we've ever ever seen. And it's it's going to be looked at as Russell, Russell becoming the true savior of Doctor Who, not once, but twice. Because I can't imagine in my own head, if nothing else when Russell comes back, there's at least going to be continuity within the stories and the characters where that just never existed here. Oh, for me, we're like going to get the, Oh, for me with Russell, it, my big hope is we're going to get the doctor back because for the last three series, that's, what's been hard for me, not seeing that main character. And it's not just a gender thing. It's because I think he, Chris Chibnall fundamentally does not understand the doctor. It's like, we didn't talk about it, but a lot of the press in the UK, Jodie's decision, sorry, choice to allow a genocide to happen has gotten, has been brought up and highlighted. And yeah. multiple people have talked about that, saying that's not a doctor thing to do. Well, also, isn't. Charlotte, wasn't that exactly what she bollocked that general character for in week two? Yes. So the, that's the problem with this doctor. She's, she's, she's written as a walking hypocrite. But... Very that's much. my 
that's the thing though i with russell i'm i i he knows the doctor he knows that character and i just want to be able to watch my show again and go there that there they are i'll say they because we don't know what he's going to do with gender but i'll just say i just want to say that's the doctor how many can I, can, uh can i ask a question guys yeah of course because it's a is it just me too or with all the loss of universal life during the flux and if we would have had Capaldi, if we would have had Tennant, if we would have had Smith, if we would have had even Eccleston, there would have been a registration to the doctor of that loss of life? Yeah, there would have been sadness, there would have been regret, there would have been anything, but with Jodie's doctor, it doesn't register. doesn't register at all, does it? There's not even a sort of, I've got bigger things to deal with, it, it literally doesn't register at all. Yeah, and, it, and I was like talking with some of my mates, and I said, do you know what you could have done if you didn't want to write it? do a big speech she could have just had the hand shaking or like a little bit of just to show hesitation and there was no hesitation on her part in that finale to go yep you're all gonna get get consumed by the flux peter capaldi recently spoke about the character in an interview a, a brand new interview and they they asked him because he doesn't speak about doctor who very often he's a very busy actor so he's generally speaking he's talking up the work that he's doing now or that album that he made a few months ago whatever else it is but he spoke a little about the character, and he said that, in his head, the current perception that the BBC has of the character, as it exists as a as a pop culture sort of identity, is that it's the, it's sort of more a sort of magical impish character now than it was before. And I know exactly what he means. I think that that uh, the version of the character that exists inside Whitaker's head is a combination of what she thinks David Tennant was doing rather than what he was actually doing. You know, David Tennant is a, a great actor who's working that, who understood the role and worked it on several levels. But she isn't attuned enough to see that. So to her, she just sees somebody who uh, runs around and and goes wide-eyed occasionally. So it's a combination of that and whatever Chris Chibnall has, has put inside her head. But it, she plays it as a kind, as a kind of, uh, of, as this sort of, as yeah, as a as a magical impish character who sort of blips in, says a few things, waves a magic wand, and blips out again. I think Capaldi's Capaldi's right. I think it's been been cheapened by all this, and it's it's largely down to Chris Chibnall's uh, inability to to write and develop the character and to anchor it in anything that we that we recognise either from the series past or that we may see. In any in any of us, or in any any of the incarnations that we've latched onto in the past, uh, looking specifically at the at the vanquishers, though, I'd love to know <laughs> how many fo- how many fob watches out of five do you give this particular episode, Charlotte? I, I, honestly, I I can't give it anything because for me this was like once upon a time, but worse because. There wasn't a coherent story. You can have multiple things. Like we said, you can do Journey's End, which is what this was trying to be. You can have a lot of characters. You can have a lot of different storylines if you want. But they all have to come together and make sense. And this episode had to come together. We had to get answers, like you said. And we actually had to, I think for the characters of the Doctor, for Yaz, for Dan, we had to almost be able to see the changes they've done throughout this series. And for me, none of that happened. It was a lot of flashbang. 
it was a lot of distractions and even the good moments whether it's Jericho's character or the little good bits of acting they weren't given enough room for me to even enjoy those bits whereas other episodes I've not liked I can go well at least this character I liked or this (laughs) bit of the story I liked but with this I didn't even have that because everything was underserved so yeah I, I can't give this anything Sort of like you, I know you and Simon did for Once Upon a Time. This is sort of my episode that's very like that. How about you, Carl? I have to get, at least give it a one A to justify my time watching it. And <laughs> two, there are actors in this episode who are trying and putting forth an amazing effort to try to make something out of this. And they, they just can't. And it's not their fault, but they, they put in a lot of effort. And I got to give them at least a, a little bit of credit there for the effort they yeah. put in to do this so it gets a one for me i oh no i i can't give it anything either i'd like to and in in some respects i think it was better than once upon time but we're also three or four episodes into this it's later in the day the fact that it once upon time was never meant to wrap anything up this was and so yeah i'm gonna have to agree with you charlotte and for a, a third time in Less than ten episodes. I'm I'm awarding an episode of Doctor Who that that zero figure. I think that this kind of it's it's barely even it barely even qualifies as a, as a screenplay as a piece of television. Certainly doesn't doesn't warrant a uh, a rewatch. Sorry again, Charlotte. <laughs> it doesn't warrant a rewatch or even really a, a second thought. And I do think that it will be forgotten about in next to no time at all. Uh, Doctor Who Flux concluded late last year. And uh, as of recording, we're just a few days away for all the completists out there. We know that there are some of you. The uh, the physical media release is on the way on the 22nd of January. The whole of Doctor Who Flux can be yours to own on DVD or Blu-ray. And in a, to be fair, a gorgeous-looking steelbook, that's on the way. Although that is uh, the entirety of Flux vanquished here on our show, we will be back to talk about the New Year's Day special, Eve of the Daleks, in due course. Not exactly sure when. I think we all need somewhat of a palate cleanser after all these episodes of Flux. You mentioned it earlier on, Carl. You've sort of watched the whole thing all in one. You've you've ploughed through it all, haven't you? So you need a rest Oh, yeah. I, I, I got to ask, though, before yeah. we get out of here, two, I have two questions. One, you just asked us what we give, give for this yeah. particular episode. Now that we have the flux as a whole, how many watches? Because oh. I, I, I would really think hard to do. I, I would think I would at least give it a one and a half because of a couple of episodes that had some a little bit of hope in them. Yeah. As far as if you look yeah. at them as standalone episodes, yeah, uh, that's like probably where said, I would go. Jamie's did some really good directing work. We had some nice one-off, like some nice characters. So it's not you need to sort of give points for that. Yeah, so parts of it represented a step up from from what we got in in series twelve. Like I said, the fact that it was diverting for a couple of weeks, it never truly felt like Doctor Who coming together to be the show that I knew. It, it at least seemed like serviceable fantasy adventure. Undisciplined but serviceable for a couple of weeks. 
Traditionally on Type 40, once the series is wrapped up, we do come back to it and have a, uh, a complete review of the entire series, usually with a couple of extra guests. That may happen this time. We'll see how things we'll see how things go later on as the specials start to drip out. I'm thinking of one person in particular who might be tempted to come on and chat to us all, as he does now and again. Mr. Mosby, what do you think? <laughs> Let's see if we can have a word with him about all of that. So I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna resist scoring it all for now because I think there's something to consider there. I think maybe with the passage of time, actually no, with the passage of time. I'll be good on exactly what I said earlier on. I'm just going to have forgotten about the majority of it. I was going to say, going to go out your head. Like, just consign it to the, to the Doctor Who history book. <laughs> That's the old girl starting up and calling time on this edition of Type 40. That was episode 98, Carl. Would you believe it? It just seems like yesterday, but then again, I can't believe I'm starting year six of the Phantom Podcast Network here. So <laughs> as long as we stay out of a state of flux, I think we're good. <laughs> I'll be back with another edition of the show soon enough. Look out for that wherever you found this. It could have been on the dedicated home feed for Type 40, type40.podbean.com, or it could have been on Spotify, TuneIn, Google Play, Podbay, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher. There's more and more by the month. I can barely keep track of them. Uh, you can get in touch with us too through our social media, Instagram, and Twitter at type 40 Doctor Who or you can email us type 40 Doctor Who at gmail.com as part of the Fandom Podcast Network's own master feed and YouTube channel or here on the Facebook YouTube channel too and if you're feeling really really brave join the type 40 Facebook group so yeah head over to Facebook and uh, type type 40 into the search field there and you'll find our social media group full of generations upon generations of Doctor Who fans from all over the world and a few other worlds. Yes, we've got some suspicions about some of you, but they're there sharing and geeking out, sometimes arguing yeah, about all things time and space, the past, the present and the future of all things Doctor Who. Kyle, where can people hear and see more of you across social media and particularly at the Fandom Podcast Network. Well, of course, it starts at the homepage of the Fandom Podcast Network at fpnet.podbean.com. You can hear me on several shows there, including Culture Clash, our flagship show, which covers everything that's going on in fandom. Of course, we have our new Marvel MCU show, True Believers. Um, kind of going a little break on that because we don't have a lot of Marvel stuff after Spider-Man No Way Home, but we had a huge spider-man special also the wrap-up of hawkeye on disney plus which i was a big fan of and then of course just all the other great shows on the phantom podcast network including type 40 and as far as me on social media you can find me on twitter at a kyle w or on instagram at a kyle fandom where can people hear more from you charlotte well I, i'm not on social media so you you will hear me on type 40 live I appear on Daniel Leach's channel on YouTube. We do Line of Duty mainly together and other bits and bobs. We've even had Dan on for a stream, which is good fun with JT. Yeah, so if you fun. want to have a bit of variety, a bit of bit of food, but then a bit of whatever takes our fancy, me and Daniel on YouTube. So that's Daniel Leach. Good stuff. And you can catch up with me on Twitter and Instagram as the Spacebook, where I'm sharing and geeking out about all things pop culture inside and outside of the TARDIS. So come and say hello there. 
and see what's caught my eye as we begin yet another year. 2022, we're absolutely living in the future. Apparently, the Jetsons was set in 2022, so somebody told me this week. No, 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 it was it was that George Jetson was born in 2022. Oh, is that what it was? I say this is another bit of, bit of trivia that came my way recently. So that got my imagination fired up, I have to say. Why aren't we flying around in those wonderful disc-like cars by now? <laughs> Why aren't we all living with dogs that can talk just like Carvanista? Oh, uh, hoverboards from Back to the Future. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we need these things in our lives, but we do have Type 40 in our lives and in our ears. We'll be back with more of this soon. We always have the time if you have the space here at Type 40, but uh, yeah, for now, that's it. Take care. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. A Doctor Who podcast is a space book production for the Fandom Podcast Network with music by Problem Being.